welcome to Nobody Told Me That, your source for candid business talk and stories. Your host is speaker and author Teresa Duncan. Sit back, buckle up, and hang on. For today's episode, I thought I would focus in on a topic that I received an email about, and I, for the life of me, cannot find this person's name. I've looked all over, but she requested that I talk about terminating a patient, when to do it, how to do it, and, you know, what's all involved with that. So I thought, let's let's just dive deep into this one. Now, let's talk about terminating a patient. Well, when would we terminate a patient? Most of us who work at the front know that some patients really don't need to be in our offices. They don't deserve to be there, and they really don't do any good. They you know, miss appointments, don't pay their bills, whatever. A lot of times the doctors are not the ones that see the bad side of the patient, and so it's harder for them to accept that a patient does not need to be in their practice. So we have to understand that from an administrative point of view. I mean, the patient is the lifeblood of the practice, and when you're a business owner, it really does bother you to lose you know, one of those little drops of the lifeblood. So I get it. So let's not be too hard on doctors when they want to ask a lot of questions and find out exactly why we're letting them go. Well, one of the things I thought about was in what circumstances would I absolutely terminate a patient and there would be no coming back from it, like like the worst breakup imaginable and there's just no hope in this person coming back into the scene. Well, first of all, if they were unnecessarily rude to my staff uh, and the doctor, I mean, just really anyone in the practice or to another patient. And when I say rude, I don't mean they didn't hold the door or you know maybe they accidentally kicked them on the way out. You know what I mean. They were above and beyond just embarrassing they were rude to you they made your team members feel like they were just so tiny and small and that's something we have to pay attention to as owners and managers of the practice we don't want to be in a position of feeling like we did not take care of our employees you know that's one of the that's one of the things that comes with the job is that we have people under us and we are responsible for them we're responsible for their safety we're responsible for them having a safe workplace and when you have a patient who's very rude and even borderline violent you have a duty to protect your employee from that patient well, that brings up something else. If you have a patient who becomes violent, that's absolutely, that's almost, um, I wouldn't even have to think twice about that. That's one of those situations where not only do you dismiss the patient, uh, you know, you may have the letter already written before the patient even leaves, but if there's any violence expressed at all, you need to call the authorities about this because there are possibly assault charges involved. And if anything happens to your employee after that, uh, then, you know, maybe there would be some issue of you not providing a safe work environment. So I'm not an HR expert. I'm not going to get into that part of it. I just know, you know, knowing HR companies and knowing the representatives from those companies, these are absolutely issues that we come across. It's that nobody told me about that. That can happen to us when we're really not paying attention. One other issue that comes up sometimes is there's patients that just make us very, very uncomfortable. Perhaps you have a patient who's flirted with you. Perhaps there's a patient who's, you know, just has that creepy vibe and you really don't want to be alone in the room with them. Well, you know, doctors, mm-hmm. managers, when a, when one of your employees comes to you and says that they're very uncomfortable treating a patient, I need you to listen to that because you would not want to work on somebody that you were very uncomfortable with. I mean, we know some of our patients 
They're not nice to be around. I get it. But if it really affects the way he or she does her job, we really need to pay attention to that. And again, instead of being very, you know, arms open and around the patient, there are times when we need to be very arms open around our employees and look out for their health and well-being. That employee is going to remember that you stood up for them by either not scheduling that patient with them or even letting them go from the practice. So those would really be the reasons that I would immediately terminate, not think twice about it, not feel bad at all. The other kind of fundamentally, um, it's a fundamental rule of collections is that when you send somebody to collections for not paying their bill, we need to terminate them as a patient. So that's the other reason that I would absolutely uh, terminate a patient is if we went through all of the steps, you know, you have your financial guidelines, you attempted to collect the balance, you weren't able to collect the balance, and then you decide to send them to collections. You know, one thing about that I want you to keep in mind is that if you threaten to send a patient to collections, you cannot do that over and over again. It's actually against the law to do that. And I plan on having some accounts receivable experts come onto the podcast in a little bit so that um, we can talk more in depth about that. But remember, if you threaten a person with collections, then you really only have that one time to do it. Don't continue to threaten them because that is actually illegal. So the patient does not pay the bill, you send them a letter. One of my secret weapons, was that I sent a a form that was called the authorization to file suit. And it was a little form in triplicate, in triplicate for those of you who were born, you know, after 2000, uh, triplicate means that it was in three copies and you know, you could press through the paper and you get the same copy um, just from one one time filling out the form. So the patient would get one, uh, I would get one for their records, and then we would retain an extra one in case we needed to send it to court or to a lawyer. So that's where the three copies came from. And anytime I sent that letter to a patient, you know, it would say it right on there, notice of authorization to file suit. That was like a big kick in the butt and I got a lot of mileage with that. One of the unfortunate parts of practicing in, a, in this environment is that the collections laws around healthcare are a little bit different than they were say 10, 15 years ago. So medical bankruptcy, medical delinquency and healthcare bills has changed a lot. And again, I'm not gonna go off topic with that, but there's been a lot of changes and it's not as, um, shameful as it used to be. It's not as bad as it used to be, and it doesn't really affect your credit like it used to. And as a result, you have people who uh, acknowledge that and they they kind of count on that. So that's a whole different podcast. So when I send the collections letter and I make, you know let them know that this is going to an agency, I will also send them a termination letter just to let them know that, hey, we're not your office anymore. Basically what the letter says is you have 30 days to visit our office to complete any work that you'd like to get completed on a cash only basis. Now, here's the interesting part. We should never ever, this is a big rule, so listen up. We should never ever leave the patient in an irreversible state. You may send somebody to collections in the middle of working on a crown. If you deliver the crown, that's that's fine. You send them to collections, you know they're not gonna pay, whatever, but you cannot not seat the crown. Do you understand what I mean? You can't leave them in an irreversible situation. And so because of that, We need to stop treatment at a time that doesn't leave them in a worse off state than they were before. So if you have a huge treatment plan that's like, 
I don't know, $20,000 or something, and you only got through $5,000, that's it. Call it a day. That doesn't mean the treatment wasn't completed. It means that immediate treatment was completed. You finished the crown, you delivered the partial, whatever. But don't start anything else unless they can pay on a cash-only basis. Now, a lot of us, you know, first thing we think of is our PPO contracts won't allow us to do that. We have to file, we have to do this, we have to do that. There is a clause in most of your contracts, go and find it, that says the office must make an attempt to collect from the patient. This is part of your attempts to collect from the patient. Now, I'm not saying use this as a loophole. I hope you understand what I mean when I say that. Do not use this as a loophole. That's not the intent of it. But if you get to the point where you're sending them to collections, this protocol of taking them for 30 days on a cash-only basis that is considered part of the collections process, you're okay to do that. Honestly, in the many years I've done it and in the many years I've coached offices doing it, we very rarely have a patient come in to finish any work in that 30-day period. Either they're embarrassed or they're angry or what have you. They don't have the cash to do any treatment. Whatever it is, we gave them an option and they didn't take it and that's quite fine with me. I also, in that letter, let them know that this applies to family members as well. Now, I've been advised that that's, um, that that's not necessarily illegal, but it could be challenged. But until I get challenged, I'm going to go with it. But I am going to ask that question of my friend Andy Cleveland, who is the AR Ninja, the Accounts Receivable Ninja. You can find him on Facebook. Love to hear what he has to say about that as well. Now, um, I do send the letter certified return receipt because I want to make sure that it got there. And I'm going to also, um, you know, if it comes back to me and they didn't pick it up, I'm going to photocopy that. I'm sorry, scan it. I'm going to scan that into my records and then I'm going to keep that hard copy um, somewhere where I keep all of my paper uh, patient um, files. So I... I am going to keep a record of the fact that they didn't go to pick up their form. So when that happens, uh, you know, say it goes to small claims court or wherever, the fact that they didn't go pick that up, that's going to help a little bit. Um, your collection agency is going to love to know about that. Now, one of the uh, other questions that I get um, in classes, most of my management classes, and I, I love this question because I understand the spirit behind it, and I hate the answer that I have to give you, but I totally get the spirit behind it, and that is, well, do we have to give them their records? Well, yeah, you do. I mean, they own the records, and honestly, why would you want to keep on to it? It's a little bit petty. But I get it. We want to be petty because this person didn't want to pay their bill and we had to work extra hard to get it from them. So I get that part. I chuckle a little bit with you, but really we do have to give them their records. Now, in your documentation, there is probably a place for you to record whether or not they missed appointments, canceled appointments, did not adhere to treatment. Those are all clinical notes. So remember, we don't want to put financial information into the clinical notes, but missing an appointment and no showing for an appointment and late cancellate can't I'm sorry <laughs> and late cancellation of an appointment those are all clinical notes because it affects the treatment that would have been provided could have been provided but was not provided because the patient did not participate in his or her own care and that's the term that you're going to hear you know collection agencies and lawyers use Okay, so don't don't get upset about the records, you know, just send them anyways. And honestly, sometimes people get sent to collections for reasons beyond their control. I get it. 
but we all know the ones that know what they're doing. So again, I, I appreciate the sentiment. I also want you to make sure that you review with your doctor and your admin team the rules that are on your malpractice site. So you have malpractice insurance, every dentist does, and there is a special section always on these sites that deals with terminating a patient. Because what ends up happening is that when you terminate a patient, they get angry, they take it personally. I mean, who wouldn't? And what do they do? They decide to sue you because they're not happy with the treatment that you provided. This is really how a lot of dental lawsuits start. The lawyers say this all the time in classes. They tell me all the time when I'm talking to them and I get to hear their war stories. It absolutely has to do with the fact that the patient doesn't want to pay the bill and so they go ahead and file suit for some reason or another. And that's why I really do want you to check your malpractice attorney's website and make sure that you're documenting to the best of your ability so that if you had to go to court, then you'll have that information all ready to go. Now, if you've attended any of my coding classes, you know that I like to say we, you know, the documentation's gonna drive the revenue. We need to document not just to the level of the insurance carriers, which is a really, really common misconception. I know that we have to make sure our claims get paid, but I don't worry so much about claims get paid. That's secondary. I know you're like, wait, what is she talking about? That's secondary. My main goal as your manager, as the keeper of the practice, is to keep the doors open and the patients being seen. And that means making sure that you don't lose your license. And so my standard for documentation is not to the level of the carriers. My standard is to the level of any attorney or jury that's going to take a look at your records. Keep that in mind. That's a whole different standard, right? I mean, we usually think about, let's just get our claims paid. That's good. I love getting claims paid. Y'all know that. But I want to make sure we do it legally, and I want to make sure we do it without any repercussions. And there's no way that this patient can come back to me and say, you know, there's this loop here or this gap here in your documentation. I never said this and you never addressed it. And remember, if it wasn't documented, it didn't happen. And that unfortunately is a loophole a lot of dentists find themselves staring right at. Now the other, let's do, let's do a little bit of a account cleanup here. Once you dismiss a patient, you need to make sure that in your software, you have them flagged as a collections patient. You know, either you change their name to all caps, you put two stars in front of their names, you change their payment type, whatever you decide to do in your system, make sure everybody knows that's part of the onboarding in that, that way, when someone calls and they've been sent to collections, the new person that you just hired doesn't go ahead and schedule them because she didn't realize that they are one of those never ever schedule patients. Uh, those are always, you know, that's always a pain in the butt. It's happened a fair amount of times to me in my offices. And so I just hope it doesn't happen to you. So make sure that it's, it's flagged. There's an alert that pops up, a flag that pops up, some little elf pops up out of your computer and says, no, don't schedule. Make sure something is set up so that you don't get this person back in the books. Now, here comes the uncomfortable part. What if this patient calls you? And what if, oh my gosh, this happened to me. I was in a restaurant and I had sent someone to collections and I saw them in the restaurant and I forgot, I had forgotten that I sent them to collections. It's been like two years and I couldn't understand why she was so angry with me and then it hit me and then I, of course, tried to just melt into my seat and... Um, 
you know, go out the back door. It happens. It happens, right? So, I mean, some of us live in small towns and, and we see people a lot and it's it's not cool. But you know what? It's not my problem. I mean, I needed to get out of there, but it's not my problem. She didn't pay her bill. And that's something that she's going to have to deal with, especially, especially when she has to go and get a mortgage or something like that. All of us old school admin people always have a story about someone who finally paid their bill because they needed to buy a house. Now, you probably noticed that doesn't happen as much anymore. And again, it's because the collection laws aren't as stringent. The the credit doesn't get hit the way it used to. But back in the day, we used to get people paying their balance, whether it's 25, 25,000 or just 25 cents. They had to pay that off so it would show clean so they could buy their house. Well, those, those were the good old days. Okay, so what happens if you run into somebody? They come into the office, they call, what have you. First of all, if it's somebody that calls angry for them, just know you can't discuss it with them. It has to be the guarantor on the account. So don't, you know, if somebody's brother calls up all angry, uh, you just need to shut them down and let them know, sir, I can't. I have no idea what you're talking about. That's not anything I can discuss. Now, let's say you have the patient in front of you and they're just peppering you over and over again. Why did you, why did you dismiss me? Why did you dismiss me? This is where our conversation skills come into play. And honestly, this is where our Zen skills come into play. You need to make sure that you can talk softly. You can talk in a steady voice, breathe. First of all, breathe. That's during any conversation. I want you to maintain control of the conversation. If you've heard any of my management classes, we talk about how important it is to be in control of that conversation. And when it comes to employees, we can always reschedule the conversation, right? But we can't do that with patients. So it's gonna be on you to breathe through this and make sure that you keep your voice level. Our natural tendency is to meet somebody with a, a voice that keeps going up and up. I mean, you know how it goes. We just keep getting angry and angry and sooner or later we're just yelling at each other and that's not gonna do anything. So I want you to keep it low, keep it low tone, move them out of the public. You wanna get them back into an arena and, or I'm sorry, a private area. And you just let them know, I'm sorry this didn't work out we tried to work with you and it just doesn't seem like you're a fit for our practice. Have a couple go-to lines like that. We wish it could have been a better outcome, but I really think you're gonna be happier in a different office. It really seems like you are having issues with how we run the practice and we don't want that. I'm sure there's another office for you out there. You heard everything I said, right? It sounds really like, you know, very foo-foo. But try it over and over again, and the more you say it and you stick to it. So what I'm saying to you is, when you have a patient in front of you that's mad, this is not the time for you to kind of rely on your quick wit and to rely on you being able to debate and argue your way out of anything. Come up with your go-to terms, your go-to phrases, and stick with them. I wish that we could have made this work. You know, Dr. Jones realizes that this was not an easy decision for any of us to make. He wishes it had gone differently as well. It just doesn't seem like it's a fit here in the practice. I'm sorry that we weren't able to meet your needs financially. I'm sorry we weren't be able to fit you into the practice when you thought you were, you should be seen. And that has to do with them canceling and being upset that they can't be seen again, right? Many of you are very busy. When you cancel a big appointment, it's hard to get back in but I digress. So you need to have these, these little phrases ready to go and memorized. And again, for my veterans out there, we have these ready to go. You've been doing this a long time. Share that. Take all of those sentences and phrases out of your head 
and give them to your team because they're the ones who need to practice with it because God forbid you take a vacation, right? (laughs) So I want our teams to be ready for that because wouldn't it be nice if you were able to do that more often? So again, I need you to go through a couple different steps with your team because I urge you to listen to this again and kind of nail the high points and low points. You know, you probably were thinking your mind went off in in another direction when I was talking because you probably thought, of a patient that was exactly like I was describing and you kind of went off on your own. I get that. Go ahead and listen to this again. Write down the high points and then have a meeting with your team and go over what the protocols are, especially these conversations. And for your clinical team members and for your doctors, it's always, always good to discuss the verbiage where you say, you know what, I'm going to kick this back up to Susan. I'm going to go ahead and put this back up to Kay. This is something that I know Lindy does a really good job with, and I'm just going to let her come out and talk to you about this. Um, I don't really want my doctors getting into it with a patient who owes money. That's just a really bad look all around. Okay, so make sure that you meet with your team, find out the protocols. You want to check the malpractice attorney site so that you uh, have your guidance in place. If your doctor has not taken a class from a malpractice attorney in a while, I urge you, urge you, urge you to do it. Some states mandate it and, you know, so doesn't hurt to take it more often. You, manager, this is a really good class for you to have, and that's going to help you be an even better manager. So please check out malpractice attorney um, courses if they come to your local dental society or online. Uh, I know that there's a handful of them that do courses online in webinar form. You're going to send that letter, certified return receipt, and you're going to go ahead and give the patient the record. Don't complain. Just give them the record because, honestly, the best thing about giving them the record is that it's in their hands and they're out your door. That's a wonderful thing, right? So make sure that you breathe a little bit when this happens because honestly, the first couple times you send someone to collections, that's tough. First couple times you terminate a patient relationship, that's really tough because you really are saying to the patient, we don't want you here anymore. That's really what you're saying. And nobody wants to get that message, whether it's you, whether it's the patient, nobody of any age wants to get that message. However, You have to do what's right for your office and to make sure that your team is protected, your office is protected, your doctor is protected. And you being a very firm manager when it comes to terminating patients is going to pay off because your team is going to trust in you and in your judgments and so will your doctor. All right, so that was my little deep dive focus on terminating a patient. And for the person who suggested this, big thanks because it was a really fun topic to talk about. And I so apologize that I can't find your email that suggested it. It was a it was something on the contact form. Somebody sent it through the contact form on my podcast website, which also, you know what? If you guys have a suggestion for a deep dive like this, send along your information. I'll research it and we'll get on it. Okay, until the next episode, I always, always appreciate the time that you spend with me. Subscribe to this podcast so you'll get our next candid discussion. Visit Teresa's website, odysseymgmt.com. That's odysseymgmt.com for more information on Teresa's courses, books, and speaking schedule. Subscribe to her newsletter while you're there. Don't say we didn't tell you that.